Here's Neymar now, Cavani is there. And Saint-Etienne has surely won it in the 89th minute. Calou for Cavano. Oh, what a strike. An absolute beauty for Florian Tobac. Kylian Mbappé wraps it up. Hello and welcome to France during an historic week for Ligue 1 Uber Eats. For the first time since the Champions League commenced, there are two French teams in the semi-finals of Europe's elite club competition. We are very excited about that. We're excited about a new domestic season starting this weekend. And we're excited to announce that Le Bourgeois, your Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast, now has an official partner in the form of BT Sports. Uh, in case you don't know already, BT Sport is the television network that shows all of the French league action in the UK. So we, uh, we welcome them aboard. We're also going to welcome our guests today. We have Jonathan Johnson, who is, uh, who is watching PSG's progress from afar, unfortunately, Jonathan. You're, you're in the French capital. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, unfortunately not in uh, Portugal to, to witness PSG's historic deep run in the in the Champions League. Jonathan is a PSG specialist. He knows everything there is to know about Ligue 1 in, in general. Great to have you on. Andy Scott is uh, is closer to the action. He's in Lisbon. How are you doing, Andy? Hola, bon dia. Tudo bem. Ah, so you've been <laughs> picking up a few, uh, a few local tips, but have you been allowed outside of your hotel? Have you actually been to any any games yet? Uh, yeah, so I've been in Lisbon for, for a week now, but um, I've only been to one of the games and uh, I think it's fair to say that I got lucky with the game I went to because uh, I saw 10 goals. I saw Barcelona suffer uh, a record defeat against Bayern Munich. Um, but for the French teams, unfortunately, I've not been able to get into the stadium, so I've been watching them uh, from afar, relatively. And uh, yeah, very excited about the semi-finals uh, like the rest of us. Good stuff, Andy. Delighted to have um, a special guest as well, our executive producer, Ian Holyman, making a, a rare appearance. How are you doing, Ian? Not too bad, Matt. Thanks. I, I'd like to, I, I see myself in the Moussa Dembele role today, That's just coming off the bench to, to save things. Well, if you have that sort of impact, Ian, you know, we'll have to consider starting you a bit more often, or you will have to consider <laughs> start, starting yourself uh, more often. We're going to be talking about Moussa Dembele, Leon, Paris Saint-Germain. The first part of this podcast is going to be uh, previewing these these huge semi-finals on Tuesday and Wednesday night, and then we're going to look ahead to uh, to round one because Liga is back at, at long last. We're looking forward to that. We're going to head um, back out to Lisbon now, and we're going to catch up with. Uh, I'm going to say your favourite pundit, but I, you know I, we we don't have favourites. But Robbie Thompson um, is out there. Uh, he's in the Paris Saint Germain camp, and we're going to find out the latest now with with Robbie. How's it going, Rob? It's all getting very exciting, isn't it, Matt? Now just uh, 24 hours, 36 hours away from the big one. And uh, you can really feel the tension starting to, to climb here between, in just between everyone at the club, really. It's, it's, it's been this dream for so long. And, now, and then there was the, the glory of qualifying and the, and the fun and the great feeling and the joy. And now we went through a period of trying everyone calming back down and thinking, okay, another game, another game. And now you can feel the tension starting to build again. And it's a, uh, it is very exciting. Yeah. It's like, at, you know, at a major competition, isn't it really? I mean, um, people are comparing this to sort of the Euros or, or, or the world cup because it's knockout and then you've got to get ready for another game. You know, the, the, the climax to the Atlanta game was unbelievable. How from, from your position, how did PSG sort of, you know, how ecstatic were they and how long did it take them to come down from it and to start thinking about the semi-final? Okay, well, for, to, I was quite ecstatic when, at the moment when, uh, when the second goal went in. I was sitting right up on the very last wrong, rang of the last row at the, the Stade de Luge um, there with uh, the colleagues from the PSG TV team. And um, yeah, there was a moment of exultation when the first goal went in, then another one when the second went in. We could see the pictures on the television of what was happening down on, on pitch side as well and where Verratti and Di Maria were. Um, we went straight back to the team hotel because we had to interview the players. So before the players had even left the stadium, we were on our way back to the team hotel. We waited there for them. They returned to a huge ovation. There were probably three, 400 fans at, at the team hotel waiting for the bus. The players came out and, and Marco Verratti and, and Levin Kuzava, Angel Di Maria had been waiting at the hotel with us. There was lots of, lots of hugging, lots of handshaking because 
there are about 100 people here. Only 75 can go to the stadium, but there's probably 120, 130 people here from Paris Saint-Germain. And it's all really, you feel like you've done your part. You're all part of this process trying to win. So there was a great sense of satisfaction. There was a lot of joy and happiness here at the hotel. And then when the players arrived, there was there was probably 10 minutes of absolute madness of everyone congratulating, uh, seeing people that weren't allowed to go to the stadium, physios, medical staff, uh, coaches, other people, kit men that, that really are close to the first team that couldn't go to the stadium. So when the players came in, there was a lot of that. Then they went straight and ate. It was Presnel Kimpembe's birthday at midnight. So at midnight, a cake came in, Presnel stood up and said a few words to everyone very quietly. And then at about... 12.30, 1 o'clock, the players just started heading back up into their rooms. Um, you could feel that the adrenaline was, was slowing down. Um, and then that was it. We stayed up because we, we also were all feeling this adrenaline. And at about 2 o'clock in the morning, I headed up to, to my room as well, read a little bit and, and just drifted off to, to nice dreams of, of semi-final land. Yeah, sounds good. How, how important or no, how significant was it that the, that the hero was Eric Maxim Chupomoting, the guy who'd sort of been written off, wasn't in the, the, the Champions League squad earlier this year, um, has been drafted in because, because Cavani has gone. And we saw, saw pictures of Neymar giving him his man of the match trophy. And, you know, it does seem to be, you know, hinting that there is, you know, that, that this kind of so-called um, team spirit that we've been talking about isn't just um, hot air, that, there, you know, there is something very much there within the team. There is a fantastic spirit between the team. And I think it goes back to, to that, the, the days following the loss against Borussia Dortmund, where everyone was saying the team had just underperformed again, which perhaps with hindsight was a little bit harsh because they, they, they lost by one goal away to Dortmund in a d- very difficult environment. And the fact that, remember, there was that three-man birthday party that followed about three days, two days after that defeat where, where all the players went and they had an all-night party and, uh, and everyone was going, how can this be possible? And there's a moment there, you can still see it on the videos, and I think uh, Kalor Navas tweeted it a day later and said, this is how you win the Champions League. And he was talking about that spirit. You could see Cavani and, and Neymar in each other's arms dancing around. Um, there was this feeling that they'd let off steam, that they'd gone to, into battle together and come back, and now they were, they were enjoying it. We saw the spirit in the return leg a, a, against Dortmund in very difficult circumstances. Don't forget, there were players missing. They'd only found out it was behind closed doors four days before the game. There were all sorts of um, factors that, that were operating against Paris Saint-Germain that night. They did a fantastic job. And then since they've come back, I think this, this mini training camp that we had as well, the lockdown, everyone locked in a team hotel, the players relying on each other, this friendship, this feeling of, of doing something great in adversity. And they are all really getting on really well. It's a, it's a spectacular feeling. And the fact that Shupo comes off the bench and scores, I asked the coach afterwards, can you tell me about Shupo and him coming on? And, and the coach said, if it was a Hollywood film, everyone would stop before the end and say, no, it's too much. It's too much. This is, there's, there's no, this is no longer realistic at all. This is like a crazy Hollywood film. But it's true. And, and I think the players, more than anything, are not surprised that it's Shupo that did it, but they're happy that it's Shupo that, that helped make the difference to pay, play that ball into Neymar for Marky's goal. And, because it just shows that they're all part of a team. They all really Rob, like each you, other. You like him, don't you? And I don't mean that like, as, as a bloke, but you respect Kind of the way the way that he's um, that true promoting has 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 behaved. You know the way that he's continued to train. We heard Ander Herrera saying, you know, he's one of the, the the toughest trainers in 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 the squad. You know, he's there every day. You know, you 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 think that he probably deserves this. Absolutely, I do. Because let's not forget, he was in the Champions League squad at the start of the season. Then there was an injury, and Paris Saint Germain needed to bring in another homegrown player into the squad or else they were they were they were breaking the rules of of the squad components so they had to bring in another goalkeeper in garrison innocent that who came out of the academy and that meant they needed to take a player out and shupo he said the coach went and told him look this is the story 
we have to take someone out. I'm afraid it's you. And Shubo did it. He didn't kick up a stink. He didn't say, oh, this is outrageous. You know, I'm a, I'm a professional player and, and I, I'm in the squad. You can't take me out. He just, he shut his mouth. He kept on working. He didn't make waves. He didn't go to the press and say, obviously, I'm disappointed. Not a word. He kept on working. He only played a handful of matches before lockdown. And most of that was Coupe de France playing in just to alleviate the pressure and the playing time of the Akadis, the Sarabias, the Mbappes, the Neymars. He did it without making a big deal. And that, that earns respect as well from your teammates and from the people at the club. I have a lot of respect for Shupo. Above it all, he's remained an excellent guy, always with a smile, always positive. And, uh, and look, I'm very grateful that he scored a goal and set up a goal to keep us in the competition. And I'm very happy for him. Yeah, and whatever happens now, uh, Chupo Moting is not going to be remembered for the man who uh, somehow managed to stop his own teammate shot on the goal line inexplicably. He's going to be remembered for the hero who inspired the come-from-behind win against Atalanta. Robbie, um, Kaylor Navas is, is going to miss the big showdown with, uh, with Leipzig. That's a blow. He's made a big difference this season. Tell us about Sergio Rico. Um, we don't know too much about him. He was in the Fulham squad that got relegated last year, moved to, pa- moved to, to Paris. Hasn't had much game time. Is he going to be um, going to be all right come come Tuesday night? He's on loan. He extended his uh, loan deal by two months as well to be a part of this this adventure here in Lisbon. Um, I, he's a player with experience. Let's not forget he's won the Europa League with Seville. So you know he's played in these pressure cooker environments. He knows what it takes to win a European trophy as well. The Champions League is the next step up from the Europa League. But his uh, his performances with Seville. Were, were excellent. I don't think there's any doubt. Certainly, confidence is an important factor for a goalkeeper and also an important factor for the defence to have. But again, Sergio is a very humble, a very nice, quiet young man. Um, and look, he's got a great chance to prove himself. I think it is a blow that there's no Kalor Navas. His two saves in the first half from, from headers uh, was just incredible against Atalanta, even if one of them maybe would have been offside. But also, Navas is, a, is an incredible, calming, confidence, confident force mm. at the back for Paris Saint-Germain on and off the pitch. And yes, I think he's, there's no doubt he is the first choice keeper. There's no doubt he would have played if he, were, if he was fit. So his absence is a blow. That's a blow. But the flip side is we've got Di Maria coming back from suspension. We're assuming that Killian is going to be ready to go from the, from the first whistle this time. He certainly looked um, maybe not at his best or quickest or sharpest but I mean he was pretty formidable he did look very good he made yeah he looked very very good so I mean how's he been sort of gearing up apart from getting on 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 Twitter and celebrating Leon's win with a with a with a funny tweet about the the an ironic farmers league comment that that went down well but how's how's Killian gearing up well, Killian's Killian, you know, he's, uh, he's an incredible superstar already. But, but that sort of comment about the Farmers League, I think, just shows that he's still got a sense of humour, that he knows what's going on. He knows what people are thinking on the outside world as well. He's a, he's a, he's a classy young man who knows how to make a, make a point, whether it be on social media or on the football pitch. I think he was sensational coming off the bench against, albeit a tired Atalanta side by the end but uh, he just struck fear into their hearts and I think it will be the same for Leipzig I think uh, he'll be stronger for those 20-25 minutes that he played um, against Atalanta and look the question for me is how does Thomas Tuchel now do this do we go back again to a 4-4-2 do we do we go try another well the 4-4-2 we saw in in a certain sense against Atalanta or a 4-3-3 with Neymar playing a, a false nine sort of role, if you like, with Icardi on the right, Sarabia on the left. Will we go back to the the four four two with the quatre fantastiques, as as we say, the fantastic four? Will we play the four three three? The coach clearly likes to change things around for the opposition, for who we're playing against. But uh, he's got extra weapons available now in his armory. Well, Rob, I've, but before we let you go, a couple of quick questions. Um, uh, if you lose, if PSG lose on Tuesday night, are you available for, for commentary? Because the Ligue 1 season is starting this weekend. I don't know if you, if, if, if you were aware of that. But also, if you win and you go on and, and play in the final on Sunday night, can you promise us you'll be on Le Bourgeois next Monday, um, whether that's from an airport in Lisbon or, or, from, your, or from your flat? Because we want to get you on, however 
drunk or exhausted uh, you are. Okay, there could be a fair bit of exhaustion and perhaps a small little hangover, I think, even though I will try and be, be uh, uh, responsible with uh, my celebrations. But that's still a long way away. I'm looking forward to hopefully celebrating on Tuesday night, first and foremost. Um, I can't say, look, I would be devastated to miss the opening round of the league and season as well, Matt, but, you know, some prices I am prepared to pay. These are strange times, <laughs> Robbie, and, you're, you know, you're doing your duty, having to be out there in Lisbon watching the final eight and uh, watching history taking place because we've got those two French teams in the last four. Robbie, um, have, a, have a good night on Tuesday. I hope it all goes well for the Parisians. Thank you very much, Matt. Yes, Ali. Well, great to hear from, from our man, Robbie Thompson, um, who I think is enjoying himself out there, despite the fact he's, he's in his hotel room quite a lot. But uh, Jonathan Johnson is, uh, is with us today on, on the pod. Jonathan, I guess you're really looking forward to the, to the big one against Leipzig on, on Tuesday night. Do you feel confident for PSG? Do you feel like a lot of people that there is something, something very special going on inside this team, given given the way they saw off Dortmund and then came back against Atalanta? Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot to look forward to for PSG coming into the Leipzig match. Okay, you know, you've got, uh, you know, question marks over certain positions uh, with with some key players potentially missing out. But still, there's a lot of quality in that PSG side. Uh, You've got the likes of Angel Di Maria coming back from suspension as well, who's, you know, going to be a big boost in terms of the creativity. Uh, but I think the way that they finished that game against Atalanta, you know, coming on strong, uh, you know, will really, uh, you know, boost the morale, have them feeling confident coming into this this match against uh, Leipzig, uh, you know, and it's uh, it's it's a bit of a, a a bonus as well for for PSG because I think when they were looking at this on paper before uh, the the latter stages got underway, they were probably expecting uh, to come up against Atletico Madrid, assuming they could get past Atalanta. Uh, you know, so to be coming up against uh, to be coming up against Leipzig, a team they arguably match up better against uh, mm. in terms of the in terms of personnel. Uh, you know, I think that, that Thomas Tuchel will be very uh, very happy about uh, the, you think, the, John, the upcoming match. To, to, to cut in, I mean Leipzig. I watched them against Atletico. I've seen them this season, obviously against against Lyon and against Tottenham. I mean, they are a very very good football team, and they. But I get what you're saying, but they're. They're quite attacking, aren't they? They love to go forward and they might leave space. Do you think PSG, you know, how do you see them setting up? Do you think they need to be bold and go for, for the four attackers, um, given as well that there are big doubts about Idrissa Gay? Um, we know that Marco Verratti is, is, is still struggling badly and uh, you know, I don't think he'll start, given the way he was hobbling around um, at the stadium against Atalanta. But do you think they need to sort of go for it, in inverted commas? I don't think those overzealous celebrations for Chupo Moting's winner would have helped uh, Verratti's case in trying to get back on the pitch. But uh, no, I think I think you know at this stage PSG should just go for it. Uh, you know they're already in a semi-final, which you know for the first time since 1995, which represents big progress. Uh, you know for the for the project that's been put uh, put in place uh, under the Qataris for the best part of the last ten years now. Uh, you know, and I think there's there's never going to be a better opportunity uh, to reach a final. You know, no disrespect to Leipzig, like you said, they are a very good team. Uh, you know, they have some very very talented players players that we know of. Uh, you know, having come from uh, France, you've got Upamecano, you've got Nkunku. Uh, you know, so there is a lot of talent uh, in the Leipzig ranks, but there's a lot of talent in the PSG ranks as well. So I, I don't see why Tuchel should not, uh, you know, go for his uh, fantastic and, uh, uh, you know, just really go for it. Uh, you know, try and try and outscore Leipzig uh, and, and reach that final and, and see whether it's Lyon or Bayern who come up against them. Well, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I appreciate your, uh, your, your great optimism, Jonathan. Um, I, I would be a little bit more cautious because um, when I was watching Leipzig the other night against Atletico, you know, the thing that really struck me about this Leipzig team is that they are they're sophisticated. They're, they're a cutting-edge football team. They're created in a laboratory. Uh, they have an incredible coach in Julian Nagelsmann playing a really fluid, exciting, different formation. And they made Atletico look really old-fashioned uh, the other night. And Paris Saint-Germain... Um, of course, needed that late goal by Eric Chupomoting to beat Atalanta. Uh, I, I, I would be cautious about PSG's chances. I think, obviously, PSG came through the other night, despite the fact they were missing. People might criticise PSG and say, oh, you know, but look at Atalanta's wage bill. It's the same as what Neymar gets paid in a year. PSG should be winning that game easily. The reality, of course, is that Mbappe didn't start. Di Maria was out. Verratti was out. 
you know, they're missing probably three of their four best players in that game at kickoff. So, so of course, there is room for improvement. But, you know, you talk about Mauro Icardi. Um, look at Dayo Upamecano. What a player he is in that Leipzig defence. You know, let's not underestimate Leipzig. And I think that Paris Saint-Germain, of course, will have to take the game to Leipzig. Um, in Neymar, they have a guy who was really on his game the other night and you hope for that once again. But I just worry a little bit that PSG might be relying on these individual moments of brilliance from, of course, the two most expensive players in the world um, to beat a Leipzig team who, who really are not a bad side. Not a bad side, yeah, definitely. Finished third in, in the Bundesliga, Andy. But let's, this is not the same side that had Timo Werner in it. Let's remember that. There's a reason that Chelsea spent a lot of money on Timo, Timo Werner. 34 reasons. That's as many goals as he got in 45 games in all competitions this season. Yeah, Marcel Sabitzer, the very decent player, got the goals against Spurs. I'm sure he's a, you're a big fan of his now, Matt. But, you know, on an individual basis, Paris Saint-Germain are a lot better than Leipzig. A lot. Upamecano, what, against Mbappe? Yeah, he's, he's a decent defender, no doubt about it. But he's up against Mbappe Ian, Ian, on, t- Ian, on Tuesday night. At this level, it's not always the individuals that... That we're now, I get what you're saying, and I hope PSG's individuals are, are too good. But tell us a little bit about the battle of the coaches, Ian. And, and tell mm. us, you know, Julian Nagelsmann is, is so impressive. Uh, you know, I have been reading as well that he worked with Thomas Tuchel at a, at, a, at a young age, or he played for him, although spent most of the time being injured. Yeah, he did. Well, he, he, didn't, he didn't get to play for him because he, he was injured. He, he had to end his career at 20, Nagelsmann. He was uh, at, at Augsburg's reserves. Uh, the coach at that time was Thomas Tuchel. And uh, Tuchel, when, when Nagelsmann had to hang up his boots extremely prematurely, he offered him uh, a job, basically because Nagelsmann's contract was not up. So he was going to get paid anyway. So Tuchel employed him as um, not quite a scout, but observing opponents. So he would analyse opponents, probably in a similar way to something that Andre, Andre Villas-Boas did for uh, Jose Mourinho right at the start of his uh, coaching career. Um, it's interesting, Nagelsmann has talked about his relationship with Tuchel, Tuchel and he said he worked for him, not with him, which implies really that he, he wasn't really part of, of Tuchel's backroom staff. He was just almost there as, a, as, a, as an afterthought, but he's, it, it certainly gave him a taste for, for coaching. He's, he's only 33 now, Nagelsmann. I actually talked to him, I actually interviewed him the other day. He's, Quite a, it's just remarkable how young he is. Certainly in comparison to comparison to me, but he was coached the youngest ever Bundesliga coach. I think he was what twenty eight when he was appointed by Hoffenheim. Um, he he's done a fantastic job, and it was interesting to hear Tyler Adams, the the man who got well, the man I say he's a teenager got the goal to uh, to to send Leipzig through against Atletico. Talks about their fearless mentality and about Nagelsmann being a fearless coach. There's no doubt that Leipzig like to take risks. Nagelsmann will take risks and he knows he will have to take risks against PSG because he knows individually uh, that his team are, are inferior to, to, to PSG. How he does that as yet we, we, remains to be seen. Jonathan, um, Leipzig are going to attack PSG. A PSG solid enough? We're probably going to have Sergio Rico in goal with Kayla Navas injured. Um, we don't, you know, we've rarely seen the Spanish goalkeeper. We don't quite know um, what his what his level is? Um, Thiago Silva was 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 solid, wasn't he against Atalanta? He's a, an exceptional, experienced player. But there are calls in France for for Marquinhos to drop back into what is his best position and play alongside Kimpembe. How do you how do you see PSG's defensive uh, game plan? At, you know, are they going to be able to resist? Well, I think a lot depends on uh, how well <clears throat> the the squad has been able to recuperate over the last few days. Uh, we're talking a lot about Rico. I mean, unfortunately, what we have seen from him, the little we have seen from him uh, in PSG colours have not exactly been uh, convincing. You know, we saw him have a very difficult time against Bordeaux uh, in Ligue 1 at Parc des Princes a couple of months ago. Um, uh, you know, and we've, we've also seen the number three, Marcin Burka, uh, you know, actually look reasonably impressive. I remember him performing quite well uh, away at Metz early in the season before uh, Keylor Navas' arrival. But for me, the, the big question in the, in the back line uh, is the the fitness of Juan Bernat. When Bernat is is fully fit, you know, is a very important part of that back four. 
Uh, I thought he looked like he was lacking fitness, particularly in the first half against Atalanta. Uh, you know, he was uh, arguably partly at fault for the for the Atalanta opener. Uh, and I, I also have question marks about Tilo Kerrer going forward. Uh, you know, he's a very solid option at right back, uh, but he doesn't give that much going forward, particularly when he's trying to put the ball into the box. I know that he had the pass uh, in the build-up to one of the two goals, uh, but still, I think it's it's a bit more of a risk when you're you know arguably going to have to outscore your opponents as PSG will have to do uh, against Leipzig. I think Silva and Kimpembe perform solidly enough. Uh, you know, to be able to be uh, to be kept on as the the central defensive pairing, I think it would be a bit of a risk for Tuchel if he goes to a, a back three uh, and puts Marquinhos in there. But I think uh, you know also with with an eye on the defence, uh, you know, if Gay is to miss out, uh, that presents a good opportunity for the the tenacious uh, Leandro Paredes to be added to the the midfield, which would enable Marquinhos to to effectively concentrate on shielding uh, that back four and potentially stepping back. Uh, you know, to help out the defence from time to time. I mean, PSG have got a great defensive record in this competition there the, this season. They had the best defensive record in the in the group stage. They've, they've only conceded five. It's interesting what you say about Bernat because down that right-hand side, Leipzig are very, very strong. Sabitzer, who I said, he's got um, four goals in the Champions League this season. He was level as top scorer for Leipzig along with Werner in, in the competition. And Danny Olmo, who uh, Andy, I'm sure, knows a, 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 lot, a lot about as well, uh, Spain international, picked up from Dinamo Zagreb in, in January, got his first goal uh, on his Champions League debut for Leipzig in the previous round against Atletico. They, they worked, they're going to work together very, very well down that right-hand side. They'll be a real danger to PSG. But I, I think that really Leipzig will be more worried about how they're going to defend against Paris Saint-Germain. I mean, Neymar, Mbappe, Di Maria, the, the form that Di Maria has been in this season has been absolutely exceptional. Uh, I, I think there's a there's a wider point to this. I mean, I, I, I thought it was interesting the other night. Actually, after the, we'll come come on to Leon obviously later. But after the Manchester City Leon game, Pep Guardiola was asked about his tactics uh, in that game because he because he basically set his team up to match uh, Leon's you know back three, and he said, "Oh, tactics don't really matter in the Champions League," which was a bit disingenuous. Um, what I would say is that. You're right to emphasise the quality of the Paris Saint-Germain players. And, of course, Leipzig are a very good team. One of the things that struck me about Leipzig the other night was that I thought to myself, if Julian Nagelsmann was in charge of a really, really, really elite group of players, for example, Bayern Munich, which he might be in the near future, then that would be really frightening. The reality is that Leipzig are maybe just a little bit below the very, very top level you know, of teams, even though that might sound ridiculous because they're in the Champions League semi-finals. But the point is that PSG should have the players to beat them. But the reality is that it is all up here in the head, right? And that has been the problem for Paris Saint-Germain on too many occasions in the Champions League in the recent past. And I would just be wary of how they respond to this. Yes, there's all this talk about the great spirit in the camp. We always hear these things before big games, before confident international or club teams going into a big game. Yeah, the mood in the camp is great. It's a really great mentality. Let's just see what happens on the field. Got Andy Scott talking on uh, Le Bourgeois in collaboration with uh, with BT Sport. Andy, who was always a little bit cautious, a little bit pessimistic, just sending sending us some warnings. Of course, Leipzig are a really good side, but at the same time, Andy, you look back. PSG's last Champions League semi final was against the the great AC Milan team. They didn't they didn't quite make it. This is quite an opportunity, isn't it? Let's let's finish on PSG. We're going to talk about Lyon Bayern Munich, but uh, before we move on. Quickly, um, some predictions, guys. Um, I was obviously right last week. Well, no, I was partially right. I predicted Leon going through, and I predicted Atalanta, which our PSG Helsinki fan club gave me stick for on, on, on Twitter. So they said, you've got to back PSG. Anyway, Ian Holyman, I'm going to start with you. Who are you going for? PSG going through. 3-2. Uh, Ooh. That's what I was thinking, but I'll, I'll change now. Andy, uh, what, are, what are you going for? Uh, I think PSG will win 3-1. Jonathan? Uh, sounds like all the good options are quite rapidly disappearing. I'm going to say 2-1 to PSG. Okay, well, just to make um, our, our listeners and particularly particularly our friends in Helsinki happy, I'm going to go 2-0 to Leipzig, um, and it's going to be a tough night, boys. But, you know, I'm sort of doing that, hoping that it means PSG will go through. Okay, so, I, you know, I, I admit. Let's, um, let, let's move on to the second French team. It's unbelievable, all these French teams that we have to talk about in the Champions League. But uh, Leon were absolutely brilliant, I thought, on, on, on Saturday night. Yes, you can 
criticise Pep Guardiola for, for going a bit defensive. But I think at the same time, if he went defensive, it was because he was, he was worried, he was concerned about those, those Leon attackers and uh, the um, not particularly solid nature of, uh, of his defence. Now, I think it's fair to say uh, the challenge is even steeper against the Bayern Munich side that have just put eight past Barcelona. Now, Andy's going to be really negative. So I'm going to go to, I'm going to, go to Ian. Ian, um, have Leon got a chance on Wednesday night? It's interesting that you think that I'm going to be more positive than Andy. You've just said it. Bayern put eight, eight past Barcelona. Eight. I mean, was that like was that when you repeated eight? Was that like in brackets written like they did? Yeah, the like yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Like the, when you the can't actually printer. believe the video print exactly the video printer when you think there's been a mistake. I mean, honestly, I, it, it's it's. But the thing is, on on the brighter side, Leon were underdogs against Juventus. They squeezed through, but it was still a pretty decent performance. They were very much underdogs against Manchester City. I mean, nobody gave them... Did anybody give them a chance, really? Well, apart yeah, from you, Matt. <laughs> Obviously, you did. But other than that, you, 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 were, very, you were very alone in that. Um, they went through, and in the, in the end, relatively handily. Yes, you can talk about Raheem Sterling's miss, but OK, that's, them's, them's the bricks. Leon took their chances. They went through. There's a chance. Yeah, and, Leon, a... and Leon, Leon were bossing that game for well, boss, not bossing that game, but they were ahead. And actually, Man City after Man City scored, you know, Corne could have could have got a penalty. Apparently, he was offside. I still haven't seen the um, the replay of that, but apparently, he was offside. There were a couple of chances that uh, that Auer very nearly slipped a, a, a striker through, and eventually he did. I don't think it was a you know a, a, a piece of luck, was it? I mean, Andy, uh, can, can I just say so? You know, Ian's saying. Barcelona, eight goals. Of course, Leon have got no chance. But a few months ago, if you'd have said, if Leon got a chance of knocking out Juventus and Man City, you'd have said no. <laughs> so what do you think, Andy? Well, I made, I made this point the other night on Twitter that when I was sitting, when I was commentating Leon's nil-nil draw with Amiens, a half-empty half group armour stadium on a cold February night, if somebody had told me then that Leon would go on to knock out Juventus in Manchester City and uh, get through to a Champions League semi-final in Lisbon behind closed doors in August against Bayern. I'm not sure I would have believed them. But, you know, it's fine making the point about Bayern putting eight goals past Barcelona, but they're not going to put eight goals past Lyon. I mean, Barcelona were a mess the other night, an absolute mess. And Bayern are a very, very, very good team. But Barcelona were a mess. And Lyon will not, will not do that. You know, Lyon frustrated Paris Saint-Germain for long spells in the Coupe de la Ligue final a couple of weeks ago. Yes, they got lucky against Juve. And they got lucky to an extent against Manchester City with that Raheem Sterling miss. But Lyon will give uh, Bayern a better game than Barcelona did, that's for sure. Can they spring a surprise? I mean, I'm not expecting it. Um, you can't rule anything out. It's been a strange season, of course, for so many reasons. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I'm particularly optimistic for Lyon, but I think, you know, they've got nothing to lose. The thing is that Paris Saint-Germain have a lot to lose against Leipzig. Lyon have nothing to lose. And OK, they have to win the Champions League to get back into Europe in the new season, which is just beginning. But really, they have nothing to lose. And that is a good thing, you know. And they have the players. I mean, Hussein Awar, great player, fantastic player. There are other players in that team who are really impressive. So, you know, they have a chance, just a small chance. But there is a chance that they can get the better of Bayern. I think you're right, Andy. I think... What is certain is that Leon are going to have to be absolutely exceptional uh, once again, as they were um, against Manchester City, but probably even more so against Bayern Munich. That means you know that Denayer, Marcelo, Marcel are going to have to be faultless again. That Dubois and Maxwell Corner are going to have to bomb up and down the uh, the flanks. I think there was probably one player, um, Jonathan, that didn't quite play to his full potential. That was Memphis Depay, and there are obviously are reasons. Um, because he's come back. He's been out for seven months with a cruciate ligament injury. Um, how do you think Leon have to, to approach it? Uh, I assume it will still be the five-man defence. You've got to assume that Kakare, Awar, Bruno Guimaraes will, will continue in, 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 in that midfield. Would you make any changes, maybe in attack, for example? I mean, obviously, there's the temptation to put Dembele on from the start, uh, given the way that he performed when he came off the bench uh, against City. But, you know, part of that, uh, the, you know, the beauty of that, the way that uh, Garcia sets uh, Leon up 
is it's almost, uh, you know, it feeds into this kind of big game mentality that they've developed since he took over from Silvino. Uh, okay, you know, Lee, we see Leon struggle from time to time against arguably inferior opponents or teams that they should be beating. But when it comes to these big matches, they seem to have more of an appetite for it. And the way that Garcia sets the team up, uh, you know, sort of plays into their favour when they come into a match as the as the underdog. So I'm I'm tempted to say, you know, more of the same uh, and, and, you know, to perhaps bring Dembele on a little bit earlier. But so much of the way that, that Dembele is deployed in these matches depends on how the game is unfolding. Uh, you know, if uh, Leon are, you know, uh, perhaps a goal behind maximum, uh, you can bring him on and then that's the ideal time to introduce him. You know, but if uh, you know Bayern were to get a couple of early goals, then you, you've immediately got a, a main goal threat stuck on the bench that you probably should have had from the start of the game. So, I you know I, th- I completely see your point uh, with Depay not being fully fit. Uh, you know, I think it's a miracle that he's even you know on a football pitch at, at this moment, considering the severity of his injury. Uh, but I think he also gives the team such a lift. You know, he's he's, he's a very inspirational figure within this Leon side. So it is a real uh, a real headache. For, for Rudy Garcia, whether he goes with uh, with Dembele or Depay from the start, or whether he benches uh, Carl Toko Akambi. Of course, uh, we, uh, a quick mention from Memphis Depay's calves, which is great to see back on a on a football field again. Um, but the, you know, having been at the Bayern Barcelona game on uh, Friday evening, you know, one of the things, lots of things struck me about that game. But one of the things that really struck me was that immediately from kickoff, Bayern, right from the kickoff, are straight in there pressing, and they play this incredibly high line. And of course, you know, you look at, for example, there. I can't even remember, but it was their second goal. I think it was when Serge Gnabry wins the possession back on the edge of the final third and sets up Ivan Perisic to score. And that really summed up the way that Bayern played, really taking the game to Barcelona. And, you know, if you look back at the first 10, 15 minutes of that game, Barcelona scored a goal. They nearly scored another goal. They hit the post as well. And the reality is that Barcelona were playing almost suicidal football, actually. Really, really high line there to be exploited. And Lyon, with their back three... The wing-backs, I know, Matt, that you're a huge fan of the job that Maxwell Corney has done reverting to that position on the left-hand side. Leo Dubois, a French international, on the other side. They have quality in the wide areas and they will have the room to get these players forward and cause buying problems. And whether it's Depay, Dembele, Toko Akambi, which two of those three start, the quality will be there in the middle to take the chances. So Leon will have chances and, um, you know, they have to try and exploit the opportunities they get in the wide areas because, uh, obviously, at the other end, they are likely to suffer. I think I think Carl Tocco Ekambi's done a really good job in, in in the last couple of games, and I think his mobility and his speed, um, you know, justifies his place in the team. And I don't think Memphis can can start on the bench. I think you've got to start him um, and and probably then take him off and and and, and bring Dembele on. But Ian, you know your your Bundesliga football as well as your Liga football. How do you hurt How do you hurt this machine that is that is Bayern Munich? Which teams maybe have, have done that this season? And, uh, you know, what, what do Leon have to do? Well, the, the teams that hurt uh, Bayern this season, it was when uh, Nico Kovac was in charge and he's now the Monaco boss. Um, <laughs> since, 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 Hansi, since Hansi Flick took over, they have been nothing short of a juggernaut, you know, cloned with a steamroller, cloned with an unbeatable sort of incredible Hulk kind of figure. Unfortunately, they have Just been. Ian, Ian, you're doing the Bundesliga podcast later. Okay? So <laughs> they have been. a bit of hope. Here. They've been phenomenal. However, however, I mean, they've been, they, they have threats all over the pitch. It's re, it's really difficult to see where, when you plug one hole, another one opens up somewhere else. But I think somebody who has a key key role, a huge role for for Leon, is Maxence Kakri in midfield. Uh, Bruno Guimaraes as well. Um, they've really got to get incredibly tight and close to Thomas Muller, who's been in fabulous form. I mean, of course, Robert Lewandowski gets all the plaudits for his goals. He's got more than 50 this season in all competitions, blah, blah, blah. Amazing forward. But Muller has been sensational in, in recent weeks since the Bundesliga restart. He's the, the man who's making Bayern really tick right now. And if Kakare yeah, and Guimaraes can get close to him and, and somehow starve him of, of possession and time on the ball, then then that's going to hurt Bayern. That's going to at least blunt Bayern's cutting edge. Yeah, but Lewandowski and co, they haven't come up against Marcelo yet this season, have they? And uh, and Marcelo and, and Denar. I, now, I'm saying that a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I tell you what, there, there are so many amazing stories in this Leon side. Guys who have been written off. Marcelo was fighting with his own supporters um, earlier this season. They all wanted him out. Um, 
he was an absolute um, patron. He was, he, he, he was the boss at the back against Manchester City. Marcel as well, another player who was pretty much written off. Um, Andy alluded to, to, to my love of Maxwell Cornet and uh, quick shout out to Armel as well, who was on last week and said, of course, Leon can beat Man City. One, no, two words, Maxwell Cornet. And I have to admit, when I was jumping up in, in, in the bar that I managed to find on, on, on Saturday evening, um, when Maxwell Cornet scored, I had a little thought about Armel. I made four goals in three games against City, Maxwell Cornet's got. But whereas he did that last season in, as an attacker, he's now this sort of left wing back. And I actually, I commentated the Coupe de la Ligue final between Lyon and, and PSG, and I, uh, and I singled him out for praise in that game quite a lot, just because he just got up and down. It was their first competitive game back since the lockdown, and nobody ran more than him. And he was in tears, actually, at the end. And, uh, you know, I'm really pleased for him. And then, yeah, obviously, Maxence Kakare, another, an, another great story. So, you know, it, it would be unbelievable. Do you, do you, do you think, so I was having a, a Twitter exchange with another friend of the pod, Tom Williams, who says this is Leon's biggest ever achievement in Europe. And I argued that knocking Real Madrid out 10 years ago was, uh, was, a, was a bigger achievement. Of course, 10 years ago, they came unstuck against Bayern in the semi-finals. What do you reckon, Andy? Is this their, their, their best yet? Um, well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that game 10 years ago, actually, because uh, just a little bit of a roundabout way to, to do myself a plug here. But I, I spoke to Alexander Cheferin, the UEFA president, the other day. I had a long chat with him, really fascinating chat about the direction in which modern football is going. And uh, we, we, we spoke about Manchester City, obviously, the financial fair play uh, decision and the fact they were, you know, had their, their ban overturned by the Court of Arbitration for Sport recently. And he made the point, you know, that we need to change financial fair play because football really has changed beyond recognition, even in the last 10 years. And that is borne out by the fact that the first Champions League semi-final tomorrow is between Paris Saint-Germain, who were taken over by the Qatari state, effectively, uh, in 2011, and RB Leipzig, who, of course, were created in 2009 and hadn't been in the Bundesliga until 2016. And and on the one, on the one hand, you have that game. On the other hand, you have this one between, of course, Bayern, the arguably the great traditional powerhouse in European football and Lyon, a club who have been brilliantly um, managed behind the scenes, of course, by Jean-Michel Olas over the last 30 years. And one thing we don't, in my opinion, talk about enough on this is their women's team, which is the best women's team in Europe and who could also win the Champions League in a couple of weeks' time. And I think I think we should really do more to promote the, the job they are doing. And the reality is that 10 years ago, Lyon were, were brushed aside, really, by Louis van Gaal's Bayern Munich in the semi-finals, and it would be wonderful. And 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 if there is any romance at this level of European football anymore, I think it is in Lyon right now and what they've done. And you know, Hussein Awar coming through the academy, uh, the 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 relatively modest amounts of money they spend on players, the fact they have Juninho, a club legend, as their sporting director. And I really, really believe that while it's unlikely they'll beat Bayern, I think it would be a a magnificent story if they could do it and if they could win the Champions League. And I think any neutral out there, uh, and I'm very much a neutral in this perspective and looking at this Champions League, any neutral should want the best for Olympique Lyonnais in the next few days. Andy, just out of interest, did, um, did Seferin understand your accent okay or did you need a translator? <laughs> Alexander Seferin is, is a really engaging man to speak to. Of course, he's Slovenian, he speaks fantastic English. Uh, and uh, a bit like yourself, Matt, I am a, a naturalised Frenchman and needless to say, Alexander Chefferin had a good laugh at that when I told him that I was French. So, uh, but we had, we had a great conversation in English and, and uh, really, really interesting to, to get his thoughts on, uh, on the way in which football is heading. And he, he is a man who, who is now getting back to, to focusing on a lot of the things that he wants to change in European football, obviously having been um, slightly distracted by events of the last few months uh, off the field. Yeah, well, you, I mean, you obviously hit it off. So, I mean, if we can get uh, the, the UEFA president on Le Bourgeois at some point in the coming weeks, that you would be certainly earn, earning your keep. Let's, uh, let's go to, um, to prediction time. Jonathan, you, you, you're confident PSG are going to go to the final. Are we going to see a Lyon PSG Champions League final? As much as I love it, uh, my head is telling me that Bayern uh, will be the other opponents in the, in the final. I, I do think Leon will put up a fight, uh, and I don't think the the Bayern will run away with it. Uh, so I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's an exciting three-two win for Bayern, in which Leon valiantly go down. Oh, I thought you were going to say like they'll only win six or seven-two. Okay, three-two. Um, Ian, I've, I've got a feeling you're going to tip Bayern, but let me. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I, I've pretty much got a copy and paste the 
JJ's answer really. I, I, I don't think it'll be as close as 3 2. 3 1, 3 0, possibly. Andy? Uh, yeah. You know, my, my, heart, my heart says Leon, my head says Bayern. I think, uh, I think Bayern will just be a bit too strong for them. Okay, I think Leon are going to be brilliant and they're going to get a 2 2 draw and lose on penalties. I predicted they'd win on penalties against City, but wouldn't that be heartbreak? If they lost on penalties, they, they anyway, yeah, they they do well to get there. All right, so we're looking. You guys are all confident it's going to be a a uh, Bayern PSG final. I'm going for a Bayern Leipzig final. That's terribly negative. Okay, but we've got a league and Uber Eats season starting <laughs> um, this weekend, uh, and you know that is great news. Honestly, I've been this period without football. Initially, I was all right with it. It was like, oh, football needed a break, but it's gone on and on and on and on. And I'm very excited now to be getting back to some league and action, some commentary and, uh, you know, a bit of work, actually. Um, Andy, mm. I'll, go, I'll, I'll go back to you. Tell me what, what, what you're most excited about. We've got a season coming up with, let's say, you know, aside from PSG and Lyon, with, you know, a Marseille team that have managed to keep keep their coach Villas-Boas after an excellent season last season. Lille have lost Aussie men, but they've made some, some very exciting signings, including um, Jonathan David. Uh, we've got Monaco, big revolution going on at Monaco. And we've got Nice, Patrick Vieira's niece, uh, who have brought in a lot of new faces. Mm-hmm. What are you looking forward to? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because when, when I was looking at the, obviously, producer Ian sends us the running order for the show and you're having a look through it and you think, you know, and, and you see this question, what are you looking forward to the most? And you think, wow, it's difficult to pick something out because for a start, what I'm looking forward to the most is, is seeing some football again because, of course, there hasn't been any league on football since early March. Uh, maybe seeing some fans in the stadium again, although I'm, I'm absolutely dead against that until, until it's safe to do so. And I think we're absolutely nowhere near that. But I think on the field, um, the obvious thing to say, first of all, is that what I, what I would really be looking forward to is, is somebody challenging PSG for the title. That's what French football needs and it would be great. And Lyon should be the club who can do that. And maybe they won't have any European commitments, in which case they can focus on that. I think aside from that, you, you touched on um, Nice. I would say that I, what really intrigues me is, is just to look, look down at the Côte d'Azur, to see how Monaco get on with uh, Nico Kovacs in charge, with this uh, new sporting director in Paul Mitchell, who's come in, having been at Leipzig previously. That'll be really fascinating to see what they do there. Um, they are... A little bit of a mess, of course, you know, far too many players on contracts, lots of rebuilding needs to be done, but it will be really interesting to see how they get on. I think Nice are in a more coherent position, uh, really interesting to see how, how they get on with the signings that have been made, the likes of Ronnie Lopez coming back to Ligue 1, Morgan Schneiderlan, of course, coming back to France from, from Everton. That'll be really fascinating, and, and a guy like Schneiderlan can, can help the young players, the many young players they have to develop. Uh, they, have, they have Europe to look forward to. And I think that there is a, a chance that Nice could, could do better than they did last season. I also think that, that things are really up for grabs because you mentioned Marseille. I'd be pretty amazed if Marseille did anything like as well as they did last season. So I think, I think things are really up for grabs, at least below Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah, interesting. We've had uh, an email in. And by the way, do, do, do send us your thoughts if you have any questions. Uh, League One podcast at gmail.com or we'll be attentive to any tweets using the hashtag Le Bourgeois. We had a, an email from Dylan Topham, who is a Nice fan, a Nice fan, sorry, in East Lancashire. He says, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Thank you, uh, Dylan. He's looking forward to listening throughout the season. Um, he said, in the episode before last, you commented on the busy transfer window um, at my team, Nice. Um, can we have some thoughts about the players who've left the club, including Malon Sarr, Christophe Erel, Ignatius Ganago, uh, Adam Unas, Arno Lusamba, and Yanis Clemencia, to name a few. Ian, um, there are some talented players going out as well, aren't there? There are, but I mean, if you look at what they've brought Ronnie Lopez in, I mean, you would, I would argue that he's an upgrade, pretty, pretty consistent and decent upgrade on, on Adam Unas in the, in the sort of creative attacking stroke midfielder department. They've, they've, yeah, they've lost their L, they've lost Malang Sar, but they've brought in uh, Robson Bamboo, who's uh, a Brazilian centre-back who, who will no doubt flourish alongside Dante. They've got the, the fabulously named, he sounds like a Roman emperor, Flavius Daniliuk, who was once on the books of uh, Real Madrid. He, they've got him from Bayern Munich. Obviously, uh, huge potential there. He seems to have fit in 
really well already. You've got a, a superb young team. Hassan Kamara, who was part of uh, the, the best defence in Ligue 1 last season as, as, as left-back at Reims, that solved a, a, a real problem for uh, Patrick Vieira and, and one that Nice have had since, uh, since Dalbert left for Inter Milan. They've got experience now, and I think that's key with Morgan Schneiderlin and Kasper Dolberg already. 11 goals last season, looked very, very good indeed. He's only going to get better. I think Alexis Claude Maurice as well. He was only starting to come into his own just when the the, the coronavirus uh, put a, put paid to the league down season. I think there's it's very very exciting times at Nice. Is it too early for them for a top three finish? My jury in particular is, is a little bit out still. I would like to see them up there. Certainly, I think they might just fall short. I'm mean, glad you, you mentioned Reims as well because I'm very keen to see how they go on, get on this season balancing uh, Ligue 1 and European football. Great to see uh, you know such a historic club finally back on the continental scene after so long away. Uh, but for me, one of the most exciting things coming into the season uh, is having Lens back in Ligue 1. Uh, you know, one of the great stadiums, one of the great atmospheres when fans are finally allowed you know back into the stadiums in, in great numbers. Uh, you know, and I, I think... I, one of the transfers that has really piqued my interest uh, this summer is the arrival of Wilker Ferenjez in uh, in Europe. Very happy to see him arriving in uh, in Ligue 1 with uh, Lens, uh, and I think that it's uh, you know it with with rumours like uh, Seko Fofana arriving from Udinese as well. It's a uh, for, for me, I think there's a lot of interesting uh, different storylines uh, dotted around Ligue 1. Uh, you mentioned Lyon and the potential to challenge PSG if they don't have any continental football uh, to distract them. Uh, you know, that's another one to watch to see whether Claude Well can succeed uh, in turning around Saint-Étienne's fortunes as well. Uh, and I'm also convinced that uh, a bit of stability for Strasbourg, uh, you know, without uh, without European football, which was distracting them at the beginning of last season, uh, you know, I think that they could come on strong uh, this campaign as well. All right, should we go for some quick fire? But, you know, you're allowed to say a sentence or two. Though, you know, I'm not, I don't want to um, be too quick. But quick fire predictions, guys. Um, starting with, who's going to be the surprise package this season who, who was it last season maybe maybe Ren maybe Ras who's going to be the surprise package this season could argue that Marseille were the surprise package last season I think mo- most people didn't expect them to finish second but I really like the look of Lorient I don't think they're going to they're not going to be a top three finisher probably not going to be a top five finisher but they're coming up from the second division um, we had a mail in from Chris Carpenter um, who also is pretty optimistic about their season I mean they've got experience with Sylvain Marvel with Fabien Lemoyne They've brought Jeremy Morel back to the club where he first made his name. But I think who's really exciting, it's when you look further up the pitch, you've already talked to him, uh, I believe, this season, uh, Matt. Adrian Grubic, the the Austrian forward, got uh, 17 goals for Clermont last season in the second division. Uh, He was the second top scorer in that league. Johan Wissa, young uh, attacking player as well for Lorient. He got 15 last season. So they've got goals. They seem to have quite a lot of stability and experience. It looks like a very, very good blend. That's an interesting shout. And it's going to be interesting to see Lorient, who are back in the top flight, they're this tiny little club where they're able to kind of, you know, they've got very good conditions for working and uh, they've got the peace and quiet. Christophe Pellessier is a, a good coach. So uh, you, you might be right. Andy, um, who's your standout team or surprise team this season? Um, well, I mean, I think I obviously already touched on Nice and, 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 and I agreed not the Nice are a surprise package, but I expect them to do well this season. And and, and Lorient, uh, I agree broadly with what Ian has said. I think it's maybe just worth mentioning a couple of other smaller clubs who uh, who I think will give the impression at least that they're pretty well run. Uh, Brest would be one of them. Uh, they seem to have a good sporting project, as they maybe like to call it here in here in France. I'm in Portugal, but in France, um, they've obviously lost a few players, so let's see how they how they get on with that. When losing the likes of Jean-Charles Castelletto, the centre back, and Johan Cour, who was very good for them last season, so let's see how they respond to that. I'm also intrigued to see how Dijon get on because Dijon um, were really exciting to watch, at least at home last season. They've got Peggy Luyendula as their uh, sporting director now, which is probably not, I think, um, something that a lot of people expected to see him in that kind of role. But really fascinating to see how they get on with Luyendula working upstairs with Gregory Coupe coming in to work at the club now on the coaching staff, formerly at Lyon, of course, a league and legend. So that'll be interesting. Um, and I also think at the other end, I mean, you know, we'll probably get onto this in a minute, but I would say that 
I think there's some big traditional names are going to find it very difficult this season. We'll probably come on to them later, the likes of Saint-Étienne and Bordeaux. And, and Jonathan touched on Strasbourg, but the longer we go on without fans in stadiums, and again, I'd be amazed and shocked if, if there are full stadiums in France anytime soon, anytime soon, and I, I really don't think it can happen. I think Strasbourg could therefore struggle because they depend a lot on their supporters at the Stade de la Mino. Yeah, Strasbourg and, and Lens, the Lens fans are so important to them. Jonathan, um, have you got a team that, that, that you're, you're expecting to cause a few upsets? I agree with, uh, with Ian and Andy. I think that uh, Lorient uh, and Dijon are definitely two teams uh, to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still confident, despite the lack of fans, uh, that they, there won't be disastrous seasons awaiting uh, the, likes of, uh, the likes of Lens. And the likes of Strasbourg, um, I'd be more concerned for for a club like uh, like a Bordeaux or a Saint Etienne, uh, you know. But I, it, you know, it does strike me as a very very exciting season, despite the fact that, that the last campaign didn't get to, didn't get to finish uh, that we're coming into right now. There's you know once again a lot of talented players in in the league, and it makes you know for a very unpredictable competition. So. Uh, you know, I I think that it, it it's a it's very hard to predict straight uh, off the bat without any any matches being played. But I think if if Patrick Vieira can get it right with that Nice squad, uh, I I think that they could really have a a, a very good season. Although preseason uh, form you know doesn't suggest that that things are going to click immediately. Okay, well I'm going to put a cat in amongst those pigeons, and if Ian. If you thought the Marseilles were, were, the, were a surprise package last season, this season they're going to go on better. My, my shout <laughs> is that Paris Saint-Germain and Lyon are going to have a big sort of Champions League hangover and it's going to be really hard for them and um, maybe Neymar will get injured. I don't know. But with Vias Boas, you know, you, you can see Marseille coming together. They probably are one or two players short, but, you know, with the Champions League backing... Ian, Ian, stop laughing. I'm, I'm, so, I, I'm going to ask you for your top threes. My top three, uh, Marseille, PSG, Lyon. Um, I'll, I'll go to, to Andy because Ian's trying to stop laughing. So, Andy. Uh, okay, Paris Saint-Germain to win the league. Uh, Lyon to kick on and uh, finish in the top three. And uh, between Nice and Monaco for third place. I'm going to go for Nice. I think Rennes will be not far away as well because they're really, we, amazingly, we've not mentioned them. And I think they are, of course, in great hands under Julien Stefan. Are oh, you really sticking your neck out there, Andy? Um, Jonathan, top three from you, please. I am going to go for PSG, Lyon, and I am going to go for a surprise with Lille coming uh, in third. Uh, you know, looking at the way oh, that they're. Look, look at, well, okay, not a massive surprise, but uh, they were third. Yeah. They were third two seasons ago and fourth. Yeah, but I mean, when you look at the way that the you know the Monaco project under Campos went, they sort of you know went between you know very very strong seasons, slightly weaker seasons. Last season wasn't as good as the campaign before. Uh, this time, I think they're going to come on strong, and I think that they're they're going to really push. Uh, it's certainly for that second position, but I still see it being. PSG, the team to catch, uh, Lyon uh, probably to benefit from a lack of continental football and then Lille coming in third. But wouldn't surprise me to see Monaco or Marseille sort of up there uh, in that battle for the, for the top three. Well, I'm glad somebody actually mentioned Marseille as a possible top three. Um, Ian? I, ju- I just think that the, pro- the problem with Marseille, as we see quite often for French teams when they, when they qualify for Europe, is they get stretched very thin. You know, one or two injuries, unavailabilities. Uh, you know, will make it very hard for Andrew Villas-Boas to keep that momentum going. As yeah, Tovan, as coming back, Tovan coming back this season, Payet on a long-term deal. Um, what else can I say? Pat Gay looks like a proper player in, in midfield. Uh, uh, Leo Bellardi, uh, no idea how good he's going to be at centre-back. But yeah, one or two more signings, you never know. Ian, right, I'll, I'll stop. Ian, what do you reckon? Uh, I'm going Lens, Angers and Nîmes. Uh, hang on, hang on. That's, sorry, that's the bottom three. Sorry, that's the bottom three. Uh, yeah. PSG, Lyon, and then uh, I'm really going to stick my neck out by going one of either Marseille, Nice, Lille or Rennes to finish third. Well, can you pick one, please? Lille. All right. You guys, very boring. Okay, but no, but I mean, you know, not very boring, maybe realistic, but I think you're probably influenced by the fact that PSG and Lyon are in the Champions League semi-finals for the moment. That's fine. Um, let's just go now with the golden boot who do we see winning 
winning the golden <laughs> boot that was, shared, that was shared, was it? Or Mbappe won it. He got the same number of goals as uh, Ben Yedda, 18 last season. Um, uh, Andy, start with you. Sorry, I'm laughing, Matt, because I, I think I think it might be one of the usual suspects. I think it could be possibly Kylian Mbappe who wins the golden boot. But let's let's throw a new name in there and mention Jonathan David, yeah, because obviously Lille have spent a lot of money on him from Ghent, and and given what we saw from Victor Ozymen coming to Ligue 1 from Belgian football last year, it will be fascinating to see how he gets on, and he could have the key to Lille finishing in the top three, which of course could happen. But Kylian Mbappe for the golden boot. Not about, about Fra- Fra- what about fellow Scots, Fraser Hornby? We have a Scot in Ligue 1 Uber Eats playing at Rouse. Yeah, uh, I don't think he'll win the golden boot. Fair enough. I'd like to, I'd, I'd like to make a shout for Florian Torvan. If, if, I mean, Mbappe is my favourite. I've put Jonathan David down as well to do pretty well. But Torvan's got a fabulous scoring record for Marseille. 53 in 106 before last season. And he only played, what, he played about 20 minutes of Ligue 1 last season. Plus 30-odd assists. He's been absolutely fabulous for Marseille. A lot of goals in him as well. I don't think, I honestly don't think you'll pip Mbappe, but Matt, you wanted something a bit from a bit out of the ordinary, so I'm going Florian Torvan. Jonathan? And I think Mbappe and Neymar will definitely be in and around there. Ben Yed has been mentioned already, Jonathan David as well. Uh, but I'm very intrigued to see how Gervic does, you know, how he makes the step up from Ligue 2 to Ligue 1. Had, has very prolific potential. Uh, obviously, I think a lot of that will depend on the kind of service he gets uh, at Lorient. But uh, you know, I definitely think there, are, you know, there is potential for, you know, for a big tussle for the for that golden boot, especially uh, if some of the some of the usual suspects, uh, you know, get a bit of rest at the beginning of the season because of Champions League exertions. All right, I'm going to go for Dario Benedetto. Um, it's going to be a hell of a season down on the Mediterranean coast. Um, Andy's waving his finger. Did you did, did you want to say something? No, I just, you reminded me of Dario Benedetto. I saw a great picture uh, yesterday of Dario Benedetto. Obviously, Argentinians love their grilled meat. And there's a picture of Dario Benedetto uh, clearly standing on his Marseille balcony with his personalised parilla on this grill, the, the barbecue in which the Argentinians cook their meat, giving the thumbs up with his top off. And uh, I thought that was quite an image. But uh, yeah, Benedetto, great player. Thanks, thanks for mentioning him because I did forget about him and, uh, and he, will, he will score a few goals this season. I think he will. I think he will. Listen, um, it's been an action-packed podcast. So much to talk about at the moment. We're going to look ahead um, just to finish um, at the matches taking place this weekend, hopefully taking place. There are one or two question marks, particularly over the Marseille-Saint-Étienne because of COVID um, on on Friday night. But uh, it's time to go on a bon voyage. Now, just to um, give you a heads up on the games that are, that are being televised over in the UK on BT Sport, you can hopefully, um, assuming the game goes ahead, you can hopefully see Marseille versus Saint-Étienne on Friday night. It's uh, 6 p.m. local time, kickoff uh, local time, sorry, 6 p.m. in the UK, that's 1900 local time. Bordeaux versus Nantes on Saturday, you can see that on BT Sport 1 at uh, 4 p.m. UK time. Lille versus Rennes Saturday night, 8 p.m. UK time. Monaco Rouse is televised in the UK on Sunday at midday on uh, BT Sport. Nice versus Lens Sunday at uh, at 4pm UK time. Now, um, I'll start with you, Ian. Uh, where where would you fancy going if you could travel in um, safe conditions to, to a stadium this weekend? <laughs> it would. It, yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the difficulty, isn't it, unfortunately? But uh, I'll be... I'll be watching this one, Lille against Rennes, Saturday night fourth against third. I think it, it will already give a very good indication of what, where those two teams are um, in terms of, of where they'll finish at the end of the season. Really looking forward to seeing Jonathan David working at Lille. Remember, Victor Ozymen on his debut for Lille last season, a couple of goals as they beat Nantes on the opening day of the season. I'd expect Jonathan David to be equally as, as explosive Renato Sanchez, he's going to have a fabulous season as well. I think Lille will be a really exciting team to watch this season. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, if I can, and if I, or if, if it's possible, I'll go to Monaco on Sunday to see Monaco play Rance. Uh, obviously, Monaco's first competitive game under Nico Kovacs, the new project there. Rance, we touched on, fantastic season last year. Two-time European Cup finalists in the 50s back in Europe this season. And a guy to look out for, Axel Dizassi, the very highly rated defender who was a target for a number of clubs, including uh, one or two teams in the English Premier League, but in the end moved from Rance 
down to Monaco and his competitive debut could be on Sunday against his uh, his old club. So that'll be fascinating to watch and uh, it'll be a good gauge of where these two teams are at this season. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Niko Kovac gets, uh, gets his Monaco side playing. Uh, Jonathan, where do you fancy going this weekend? Well, two of my original picks have already been taken, so I guess I would go uh, to Nice uh, to check out how Lens, one of my uh, one, of, one of my preseason tips, uh, get on, uh, and obviously you know to see how Patrick Vieira's men are faring uh, when it comes to, to you know to competitive action. Like like we said, there's been a lot of uh, interesting transfer dealing being done on uh, on on both sides, uh, you know, and I think that would make a very tasty uh, opening fixture for both of them. Well, we'll be talking about the. Um... The first performances, the debuts of the of the new recruits this weekend. So much to look forward to. I really, really, really hope the next Monday we'll we'll be talking about France's first Champions League win for what twenty seven years. But uh, a long way to go. And uh, Ian's looking at me, thinking Bayern and Leipzig <coughs> are gonna are gonna make it tough. Of course, it's gonna be tough. But you know, fingers crossed. Good luck, PSG. Good luck, Leon. Thank you to uh, to my guests for for joining me today. We heard from Robbie. Um, earlier in in Lisbon, thank you to Ian Holyman and uh, Jonathan Johnson, and also the uh, the excellent Andy Scott who is who is in Lisbon. Safe trip back, Andy, and uh, we will we will see you over here in France again soon. Thank you everybody uh, for listening to Le Bourgeois in collaboration with BT Sport. We will we'll be back of course next week. Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon. Bye bye. Surely won it in the 89th minute. Oh!